Hello and welcome to the Richard Grannon Podcast with me, your host, Richard Grannon. I love that with time, YouTube just streamlines this whole process so it's just so much easier. Well done, YouTube. Well well done, Google and the overlords at Google. You've really made it so much easier to talk to the... Oh, there we go. You see? Every time, man. Every time. God damn it. Am I even still on? I am. Okay. So uh, I'm going to presume I am on. Uh, they keep moving stuff around. They just move stuff around. They just have elves in a room that they're paying money to saying, hey, you're on a salary. What do you want? Let's move stuff around. And so they just keep moving shit all around. And, you know, it annoys me. Uh, but you know, what, 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 what can we, what can we do about that? I guess I'll just have to get over it. Oh, I've got my face. Oh, you know what? You don't get in front of people without checking. You're not got stuff on your face. My lips are cracking. It's a bit cold here. And my lips are cracking up. Um, so I'm going to talk very briefly about codependency, heartbreak, and the discipline of optimism. I'm not reading the YouTube comments right now. I think I found a way to scroll through them that's been a bit more that will be more effective than it was in the past um i've not done many longer videos recently and um the reason for that is i've i've had to uh retreat personally um for my own personal reasons and um you know i've never i've never tried to hide the fact that i'm in process in this project as well um i'm not didn't show up in a bloody thong with a little hat on going on in a thong with a hat on do you mean like a stripper a loincloth with a pug what (laughs) a turban a turban i never showed up in a loincloth and a turban going on and i never showed up (laughs) in a thong with a hat on (laughs) wow (laughs) <laughs> I saw uh, I saw five minutes of Magic Mike the other night. I switched it off. I switched it off. You know, I don't. I don't want to. I, I don't want to turn gay. And uh, who knows, I might. Uh, so that that just came out of the unconscious. That's very Freudian. No, I had um, I had uh, three 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 bad things happened in in rapid succession last year, and then I just had to, uh, for various reasons like the America thing couldn't be cancelled but you know people I spoke to in America when I was in America at all like they knew it had gone off half cocked because of my own uh, uh, personal issues and um, then I got sick and then I had to catch up with work and then once I'd gotten over being sick got back in the gym caught up with work then the unconscious goes have you got a time have you got a bit of time mate and I was like I've got a bit of time and it goes I'm gonna hit you with some grief right now and I was like holy fuck <laughs> i was like don't worry uh, you can do that i'm ready for it and then i went not that much <laughs> stop stop that's too much slow down and uh, yeah no i got i got hit i got hit pretty badly uh, uh recently so that's why i've not done the longer videos because you know i can't um i can't really help people when i'm in that state you know everything that i have all the resources that i have have to go back to me and uh, I don't have as much to offer people. And one of the things that I'm 
trying to do that I'm learning to do is to sort of take care of myself first because when you don't that's how you end up with shingles in your fucking ear hole which I don't recommend it's not a fun way to spend Christmas day with a black posse ear and you'll see there's still my, my ear is still misshapen from it that's from where that's from where the angels got it and they fucking grabbed it and they went listen here you stubborn little twat I went hey that hurts that and uh, yeah that's my lesson on that one um, but one of the issues that I have been sort of swimming through is um, not calling codependency CPTSD and trying to make the distinction in myself between CPTSD and codependency. And one of the nice little liver shots that I got was the lesson that you can actually have resolved most, if not practically all, of your CPTSD symptoms and still fundamentally be a codependent. In the context that is most relevant to the people who follow me on this channel, a codependent will be a primarily a fawn responder within the context of intimate relationships. So Pete Walker has given us a nice model for how we process trauma um, but it's a generalized model that he's released out to the public. I'm sure that he knows very well, uh, though he hasn't written it anywhere I've seen yet, what I'm about to tell you, which is that in different areas of your life, you will have a different primary and secondary uh, survival response. And for most people watching this channel, when it comes to intimacy um, and vulnerability, there's a huge fawn response. And so there's a huge urge to an urge to merge. I like the way when I'm just rambling and free flowing, everything comes out sound like a lot of shit comes out sound like a really cheesy motto. And it just comes straight. Like I just have this cheesy unconscious, the urge to merge. You get put that on a t-shirt. I suffer from a sickness. It's the urge to merge. And it's the neurotic pathological desire to merge your desires with, with to merge your hopes, your wants, your dreams, your fears with that of another person to get lost inside of another human being. It's a very strong form response. And you can have resolved a lot of CPTSD symptoms, but when it comes to the realm of intimacy, still have a very, very strong urge to want to form and to want to be lost in somebody else's um, desires and needs. Um, and I think the other thing that can start to happen is that we'll pathologize and psychologize simple things like, heartbreak and you'll go oh i'm in blah 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 trauma response fibbity boo because i'm in the discard phase of the blomble flibble and it's like no mate no 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 you're just heartbroken and uh heartache sucks it's really really sucky um now you could argue that for some people it's one long emotional flashback for those people who have cptsd I would argue that for every human being on the planet, it's one long emotional flashback. Um, and one of the things that I'm going to do is look at heartbreak and just take like a, a fresh, a whole fresh approach and just be like, okay, I need to relook at codependency because if you're stuck in like, um, Sam Batman told me about something called fusion merger codependence, which is where the codependent wants to be merged with an ideal version of what their partner is. And they become extremely anxious when their partner doesn't match up to the picture they have in their head. 
and they engage in narcissistic defenses to control the partner back into that space. It's not NPD, it's fusion merger codependence, but it functions just like NPD. And I was like, oh, that's that's really, really interesting. So I started to look at that. And then I started to look at that in the context of cycles of abusive relationships. Like, why do I keep getting back with my narcissistic ex, says every client, says every person you speak to on forums and stuff. Loneliness, heartache, the fear of being alone, fundamentally standard, normal human problems that are not uh, rooted in anything particular other than uh, the trauma of have, have being born uh, a human on this planet. I meant to check if my sound was working. Let me check the comments. I'm going to laugh so hard if all the comments like, we can't hear anything you're saying. It's Robert says, it's part of the human condition to give away what we want, to give away what we want from other people. It's part of the human condition for us to give away what it is that we want from other people. Okay, uh, that's apparently a quote from Nikki Eisenhower, LPC, and then it says, Fawn Till Dawn. Maybe um, maybe that's the, the name of a book. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's true. Um, so let me just get back to what I was saying there, and then I'll read people's comments and I'll answer some questions as well. So codependency is obviously wrapped up in CPTSD and the CPTSD is rooted in the in the same place but these all have like codependency is a good umbrella term and there is another umbrella term in the area of love particularly that pertains to all these things and that is attachment disorder so if we don't attach uh, lovingly bond this is the psychiatric terminology, as highly narcissistic and cold as it is. If we don't attach lovingly bond with our primary objects, with the first people who we're supposed to love in a way that is healthy, and then lovingly detach from them with the people we're supposed to love most in the world and are supposed to love us most in the world, our parents, in a way that is healthy and boundaried, we end up with attachment disorders. Codependency and attachment disorders and CPTSD all go hand in hand. Heartbreak is a nightmare for anyone. If you're raised by, you know, in uh, the utopian perfect family or uh, as Pete Walker has described it, uh, the good enough parents, so parents who basically showed you like enough love, enough attention, which is the utopia, which is the, that's where you actually have boundaries and you have the software that you're supposed to have to function in life. For them, heartbreak is, is awful. It's a, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing. It's a hugely painful process uh, to go through, whether that heartbreak is the heartbreak of a relationship ending or the heartbreak of somebody actually dying. And I had both last year. And the feeling was, the, the feelings cross over. And it was confusing for me. And I was like, am I experiencing this because... I'm just now in a jumbled mess with no internal boundaries and I can't tell what it is that I'm grieving or is it something more than that? And the more than that is when a relationship dies, though the person does not, in many ways they do. In many ways they have died to you. You know, and in bad relationships, when you've broken up, you're like, you're fucking dead to me. <laughs> well, the, 
the neural networks that connect feelings of love and feelings of affection or even feelings of frustration and confrontation with that person, obviously, if they're not being revitalized and reused over time, they'll die off, they'll atrophy and they'll die off. So what dies? The relationship with that person, your history with that person, it kind of dies. And you go, no, 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 the history is still there. And it's like, yeah, but it's be it becomes an irrelevant history. All of the awful stuff dies, okay, but all of the good stuff dies too. Your future with that person, it dies. And I've even wondered if there's something at a genetic level, because I think a lot of our, the things that we struggle the hardest to get over and the things that can hurt the most, they usually have like a, an evolutionary switch in them that is uh, stopping you from moving on because your dumb genetics are like, no, you stupid sock puppet, just reproduce. I don't care whether you're happy and fulfilled or miserable and subjugated. That's a healthy human being. We've already pair bonded with her, with him mate and make more people now and it's almost like being bullied like an internal bully like the um you know the genetic mafia the sopranos of the dna are like you're gonna do this or else or, and you'd be like fuck you or else what and they'll go well here's some pain for a start here's some fucking nightmares for seconds uh here's you driving along going to the shops and just crying out of the blue for no reason how do you fucking like them apples? And then you sit back and you go, oh, oh, that. Ah, yeah, no, actually, that's, yeah, that is quite problematic for me. Not as cocky now as it was. That's actually really, really difficult. So the genetic element that I can't, like, it's a dumb hypothesis. It's just my idea. Is maybe even the fact that you there are humans that you won't make now their potentiality and i'm not talking like in the quantum resonance field or anything spiritual i mean like a biological scientific purely like raw square science level that there is people that you were going to make you you ain't making them anymore if the relationship was broken off before you've had children so there's there's a death there and it requires the skill of grieving and what does Pete walker say about the fundamentals of overcoming cptsd and of overcoming codependency well, that fundamentally it's all about love and that fundamentally the healing, though nobody wants to hear it because it's not a very fucking fun story, is about grieving and the skill of being able to be vulnerable in a boundaried and appropriate way with the right people at the right time or just with yourself and being able to access those emotions, feel those emotions fully so that you are free to be a whole human. And what normally happens and this is this is where cptsd ptsd codependency just melds right into what we laughably call neurotypical people who 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 the fuck is that when was the last time you met somebody who wouldn't have benefited from a good hour session with a good psychologist who was on their wavelength i've never met such a human on this planet so you know i think i think actually the division is the humans who are in denial about how much pain they're in and then the humans who've kind of accepted yeah i'm in quite a lot of pain right now this is where it crosses over because all relationships that end up with an element of codependency in them and all relationships when people go into heartbreak they're experiencing an emotional flashback now, what I mean in this context is 
there are authentic emotions that are rooted in a pro like an appropriate emotional response to an actual external event and an inappropriate um larger than required emotional response to an event that hasn't occurred and heartbreak always looks like a neurotic emotional flashback and i think that probably for everybody who's struggled to get past heartbreak all people not not people who um would self-identify as having cptsd but all humans it's something to do with an emotional flashback that is related to kind of like an existential crisis and and the existential crisis a little bit of philosophy a little bit of philosophy there is directly related and can or at least can be explained very well by psychoanalytic theory pure freudian psychoanalytic theory which is well who have you attached to where's love coming from if and if you're not attached to anybody in a safe secure way yeah, you're going to be in crisis because where's love? Oh, well, love exists. Yeah, it fucking exists as an idea. But if you're not conjoined in any way, even in a codependent way with anybody, you're not experiencing it. And so there, are, for, there are, it only exists at an intellectual potential level in the mind and not at a biological, physical level, and therefore it doesn't fucking exist. So there are levels of your body and your brain that are just like, well, there's no love. And therefore, maybe love isn't real. And that's why when you're in heartbreak or and or if you just stay alone for long periods of time, there was a there was a guy, there was a viral video I saw on Facebook and I was like, I never bothered to tag it or take a note of it because I was like, oh, I'm going to see this again loads of times. It was a guy, I think he's a YouTuber, to, decided to experiment with what would happen if he just didn't speak to anybody for seven days. And I think by day three or day four, he was crying. I'm completely depressed because there was just no human contact. One of the things that I'm going to be looking at in 2018 is kind of like a contrast. It's kind of like a mirror image to trauma. And it's going to go back to uh, probably what we would usually think of as life coaching, but not a cheesy, yeah, believe in your dreams, hug the person next to you. That's not funny. Uh, you know, I don't want to hug you. It makes me fill up with toxic shame. Okay, I'm at an Auntie Robbins. Oh, yay, this is great. Yay, whoop-de-whoop. When I do things in a group and everybody else does it, it doesn't make me sweat nervously out of my back. That's not happening right now. Um, not that kind of life coaching, but traditional life coaching in the sense of, look, this is where you are. This is where you want to be. This is how you're going to get there. The more of a yang energy than the yin energy of going backwards and going, okay, where did it go wrong in the past? Future focused, where can we go right in the future? So when you look at the contrast, it's like, well, what do people need? What are our needs? What do we need to develop? What skills do we need to develop? What strengths do we need to develop? Do we need to become more mentally tough? Do we need to become more resilient? If people are too entitled and that's fucking them up, and I believe it is, I believe entitlement is, is making people go completely crazy because their reality can never match the fantasy for the truly entitled, it's always going to be a disappointing and embittering experience to interact with reality. If you're truly, truly entitled, then what do you need in its stead? What's the opposite or the cure for entitlement? Humility, humility, stoicism, expect less, be happier with less, be humble, sit down, be humble, just sit, 
you know, get out of ADHD, constantly babbling, constantly going ego, ego, ego mode to avoid the painful feelings and come back to yourself, sit, be still, be calm, be humble and experience what it is that, it, that, you're, that you're running away from. Experience what is actually happening in the moment in your beingness. So to that extent, I would argue that while CPTSD is a tough nut to crack, it's not that it's not that hard. I mean, I'm saying to people, look, it's like five or six months of pretty hard work, and they're like, oh God, for fuck's sake, people stay in therapy for 20 years and get nothing. This is this is what when psychiatrists say deep-seated psychological trauma, that's code for there ain't fucking nothing we can do for you, kid. There's nothing we can do for you. And I'm on the sidelines going, I, I, I think I can help you with that in about six months if you work really hard. And I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm so proud of myself. Six months, wowie. And I say that to people, they're like, what have, you got? have you got anything faster than that? Like I can download an app in 15 seconds. And you know, I'm like, no, I don't got anything faster than fucking, you know, your entire childhood when your brain was at its most neuroplastic and most open to suggestion was full of junk for about from zero to fucking 15, just junk messages going in when it was at its most neuroplastic. I'm supposed to fucking help you solve that. Yeah, I need a bit of time. I can't just like, boom, you know, 15 seconds, you're done. It, it takes time, it takes time, but it is possible. So CPTSD to me is not that tough enough to crack. Codependency though, is the very framework through which you process not just reality, but yourself. Like it's the it's the bowl in which everything else sits. And codependency is uh, therefore, I would argue, is the is the bigger issue. If I cannot live my life for myself without being attached to somebody who has got their own problems, who's extremely emotional, who or or is tyrannical, or is demanding, or who keeps shifting the goalposts on me every day you know, which is like, it keeps me agitated and exhausted, but at least I know where I am. If that's what I need, and I'm a codependent like that, that's that's problematic. That's very, very deeply problematic. CPTSD is kind of like a symptom or the symptomatic version of what that thing is. So I'm sort of saying like codependency might actually be the, the bigger issue here. CPTSD is a terrible thing. Got to deal with it. Somebody asked me the other day, they were like, how many people who commit suicide, how many how many people do you suspect they're doing it because of CPTSD? And I just said straight up, I think all of them, all of them, every single one. I think every single person who commits suicide, there's an element of CPTSD uh, to it. And you could say, well, some people, it's just drugs. And I'm like, well, why are they on the drugs? For some people, it's psychotic episodes and it's schizophrenia and it's just genetic. And I'm like, okay, show me the research that proves conclusively that that's the case genetic predisposition versus environmental training. You know, I'm open to it, it might be there, but even say if they can one day prove it and go, yeah, this is definitely genetic, you definitely inherited this, there's still gonna be a CPTSD element. Because if you were born schizophrenic and lived your life in a um, uh, cycling through state, through psychotic episodes and through highly delusional episodes and then back to sanity, what's that? Well, it's trauma. Okay, it's trauma. Will it be post-traumatic stress disorder? Yes, because there will be singular incidents where terrible things happened. 
What else is it going to be? Well, it takes place over time and you can't escape it because it's inside your head. Oops, CPTSD, same thing. So I don't think you can ever take CPTSD out of the story. But what I'm saying is, I think for most people who are high fawn responders, these are people who identify themselves as empaths. They identify themselves as echoes to the narcissist or addicted to narcissist or whatever else, this high, highly fawning, uh, intimate style of codependency. Um, it's actually the codependency that, that, that needs to be cracked. That's like the CPTSD. I, I'm not saying I cured CPTSD. <laughs> no, but seriously, guys, like give me a break. If somebody walks in and they're ready to kill themselves and after like I've had incidents where that was the case and it wasn't even like six months. It was like three sessions. They didn't want to kill themselves. What are we going to call that on a scale of zero to a hundred? Like, is it a 20% improvement? Is it an 80% improvement or is it binary? Because in one scenario they would have died. And in the other, they did not die. So I'm like, you know, but is it a total cure? For every type of CPTSD, always, no, sorry. <laughs> but if, you, if you're if you operating, I always say this, look, if you're operating at 15% and your life sucks, and I can take you to operating at 85 to 90% of the time, your life has sucked so much up till that point, you'll be high every day. You'll feel really good all the time. You'll be like, this is amazing. I get to do things with my life. So no, you're not at full capacity. No, I didn't drag you up 100%, but if I drag you up 50, 60% of the way, like, I think that's pretty good. Um, so CPTSD, I feel like I've got, like, my hands around that, around its throat. I'm choking it. Bites resisting. Uh, but the codependency, like that, that's mystifying. That's, that's actually, like, I'm looking at that and I'm going, ooh, all right, yeah, okay, that's going to be, that's tricky. That's a hard one to deal with. Just a quick note about heartbreak. Um, those people who are going through heartache, don't pathologize it and start studying narcissistic abuse and CPTSD if what it is is raw heartbreak that you're going through now. Just take that off the table. It's not going to help. It, what it's going to invite your extremely agitated, extremely grief-stricken, devastated mind to do is to create like a weird mutant half, you know, animal, half robot version of a story of what's gone on. And it's not going to lead you to any kind of truth and it's not going to lead you to any kind of healing. It will slightly make you feel better in a weird way for bursts of time, but that's all. If it's just pure heartbreak, just be heartbroken. And you can repeat the mantra, I'm heartbroken right now, and that's okay. I'm heartbroken, I'm devastated, and that's okay. And you could be like, it hurts. And if you want, you can journal that. You can say where it hurts, how it hurts, what are the triggers that cause the pain? Does the pain move? You can make friends with it. You can talk to it. You'd be like, oh, you're there today. Okay. You. It kind of felt like a huge steel pole had pierced me through the chest and come out my back yesterday and pinned me to the floor. Today, it feels like I'm being burnt with acid. This is interesting, heartache. Thank you for this. <laughs> this nuanced experience unfolding before me. 
if you fight it, if you deny it, then the most likely thing you're going to do, coming back to codependency, is uh, when I was talking to Chris Godinez and we did a video cast, which I thought was going to be a podcast. And people were like, why are you wearing a vest? And I was like, one, it's Phoenix. It's hot as fuck. It's the desert. And two, I thought this was going to be a podcast. And then she was like, sit in front of the video camera. And I'm like, uh, yeah, this is, a, this is not a good look. A vest is, um, what do you idiots outside of England call it? Why did you all leave? Why did you leave, you turncoats, Australians, New Zealanders, Canadians, and Americans? You should never have left. You should return and kneel before the Queen and beg for mercy from Daenerys. Uh, singlet, tank top, fucking, I don't know what Australians call it. Probably a thong. I think that's what they call flip-flops because they're a bunch of perverts. <laughs> I'm offending everybody. So, uh, yeah, that was, that was a bad luck. Uh, she called it, um, I think it was Chris that said it, it, was like when you come in and out of relationships all the time, she called it dolphining. So you dolphin out um, and then you go back under the water, back into a relationship. You come out of the water and you go, ooh, it's cold as shit out here and it's too bright, let's go back in. And you you end up dolphining through relationships and you've never finished with the last one. And then you're dragging bits of crap, karmic mucus, and filth behind you into the next relationship. And when all of those projections go into the next relationship and you're going to attack your next boyfriend for shit that your ex-boyfriend did because you're underwater. And when you carry stuff underwater, it sometimes floats forward in front of your fucking eyes. And you'd be like, oh, that's the stuff from five years ago with some other dude. And now I'm looking through this shit at you and I'm engaging in projective identification. And I think that you're doing stuff that you're just sat there bewildered, having no idea what I'm talking about. So dolphining to avoid the heartache uh, of just being heartbroken when you could just go, hey, I'm fucking heartbroken. Let me just sit here and cry about this for a minute because that's what humans need to do in order to move on. Every culture in the world has a grieving ceremony. We'll lock that shit up, except for us. <laughs> we banned it. We're like, grieving sucks. Let's not bother with that anymore. Um, and then you get more codependency because you're constantly running from pain. And what you, whatever you do a lot of, you're getting good at. So if you're constantly running from the pain of the loss of the last relationship, even the last relationship sucked. What I found was useful if you say, okay, I'm really heartbroken, I'm really heartbroken, and this is how I feel. You, um, your brain tries to stack. This is all the ways in which the relationship sucked. So don't love that person anymore because it sucked for this, 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 and this. And this is all the ways in which that person sucked. This, 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 and this. It's false. It's false. And you'll never make progress through falsehood. You'll never make progress through being a kafar and burying the truth in the dirt. You're going to have to submit to ultimate truth to transcend. Or not. I mean, it's every sovereign individual's choice how they choose to live their life. But along with your black list of the dark doings of evil of that person and how awful they were, you need the list of all the things that you loved because you're losing both. You're not just losing the shit things that did your head in and made you grit your teeth. You're losing all the good stuff. And you'd be like, there was no good stuff. Fuck that guy. Fuck that girl. <laughs> I'd be like, come on. <laughs> there was good stuff. What was it? In what ways did you, did you respect that person? In what ways did you admire them? Even, you know, Maybe it wasn't all the time, maybe, but at points there was good stuff and you've got to grieve both. Otherwise you're dolphining 
and you're dragging your dirty dolphin anus uh, with you. You dirty, dirty dolphin anus. I hope people who have no idea what's going on have just, just tuned in. Stop dragging. Let me get the mic closer to my mouth. Stop dragging your dirty dolphin anus through the water because it will clog up your blowhole. Here endeth the lesson. Um, the last point I was uh, going to talk about, I probably talked too long, um, is the discipline of um, of optimism. And this is this is a, it really it is a discipline when you're going through heartbreak, when you're looking, especially when you're going through these codependent cycles. On the one hand, you're accepting truth, absolute truth. Like if you can't be honest with other people, ladies and gents, for fuck's sake, do yourselves a favor and start being truthful to yourselves. Just tell yourself the truth. Just speak the fucking truth. If you can't be honest with other people, for the love of God, be honest with yourself. You'll never make progress otherwise. It's impossible. You'll always have a dirty dolphin anus and a clogged up. <laughs> if I had kept a straight face, that would have been amazing. Always tell the truth or else you'll forever have a dirty dolphin anus and a clogged up. <laughs> Stop it. This is a serious business. So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> emotional maturity is really important stuff so um what the hell was i saying yeah so you've got to feel it and you've got to be able to process these things and you've got to take the time to do that and it's not going to be easy um but at the same time you need to maintain a sense of humor and that can take discipline um and you need to maintain the discipline of optimism and the discipline the discipline of optimism is really, uh, you know, forcing objectivity and rationality and scientific thought into a place where you hurt. I really fucking hurt here. Well, okay, mate, you really fucking hurt here, but we're not abandoning reason. I am not an animal. Nope, I am not an animal. I'm not going to abandon reason. It reminds me of, uh, you know, Paul Atreides and the Ben Gesserit witch and the trial of the Gonja bar. You put your hand inside the box, otherwise you get the poison needle in the neck. You're not June fans. Come on now, my June fans. Under the experience of tremendous pain, it's illusory in the sci-fi story, June. It's illusory pain inside of the box. The box uh, tricks your nerves into thinking that your hand is being cooked alive in, uh, in an oven and that your skin is coming off and all the rest of it. It's illusory. So the objective, rational frontal lobes go, it's false, it's not real. But the primal animal self is going, my fucking hand is burning, pull it out. So the trick is, are you human? Are you human or not? A human will hold their hand in without pulling out. Similarly, the human, the frontal lobes, will apply objectivity and reason even in the depths of emotional despair. It's hard. It's fucking hard. But that is crucial to holding on to a discipline of optimism. You've got to hold on to reason even when emotionally you're freaking out, even when emotionally you're extremely angry, extremely agitated, whatever it is, you hold on to reason. You question your own thoughts. You keep challenging yourself. You keep telling the truth. You're, you're engaging in critical thinking. You're critical of your own thoughts. Your thoughts come through and you go, how do I know that that's true? Is there any evidence to the contrary? Whatever I just said there, maybe that's not the truth. How do I know that's true? What is the evidence to the contrary? And you keep rinsing it and rinsing it and you'll find that you think a lot of crazy shit. Now you shouldn't act on crazy thoughts and crazy feelings. Because if you act on crazy thoughts and on crazy feelings, you're gonna have crazy fucked up karma a dirty dolphin bonghole and a plugged up dolphin blowhole. I said it with a straight face.
round of applause for me. Okay, so I'm going to look at people's extremely sensible points and questions that I know they're making right now on YouTube. Let's have a look. Chrissy says, June. Huh. Thank you, Chrissy. I'm glad you're liking the June reference there. Uh, are all Chinese women narcissists? No, don't be stupid. Yoda isn't human. Yes, you're right. Everybody's writing so fast. Thanks, Jude. Thanks, Jude. So glad I made it. Please watch your language, Richard. No, I fucking won't. <laughs> you fucking watch your tendency to try and control other people's fuck-facing, fuckity fucked up uh, behaviors. You're a sovereign adult. So am I. Here's a picture of a dolphin and people writing bunghole and ha 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 ha. Great. <laughs> could somebody could somebody write me a question uh, with a question mark at the end of it? Uh, I want to introduce a victim of CPTSD from 40 years of narcissistic mother to the pack where to start. Uh, my products, like information products are limited in what they can offer you. If somebody's gone through a lifetime of narcissistic abuse and you're trying to give that to somebody, it's it's almost definitely not going to work and they're not going to get it. Louise L. Hay, may she rest in peace wherever she is in the cosmos right now. I am willing to change. Louise L. Hay uh, always said, leave your friends alone. And she would always say that in her coaching work and her healing work, she never took references or she very rarely took references from people. And her whole policy was, look, you deal with you. So codependency is also a tendency to try and overhelp and help other people. Save yourself, homie. Save yourself. Uh, your friend, if she wants your help, she'll come from it. But there's no way, like, you see a friend who's a victim of 40 years of narcissistic abuse, you go, hey, there's this guy I really like on YouTube. I bought his big pack of information products. Hey, friend. Hey, information products. And mash it and good will come of that. It, it can't. This only works when people have of their own volition. They caught one of my videos on YouTube. They're like, what the fuck does this guy have to say? He looks like some... One of my friends called said I look like an aging frat boy. He looks like an aging frat boy. Let's see what he has to say. Uh, and then they either like it or they don't. And if they like it, they'll listen to a lot of it. And typically somebody who then goes on to want to explore more of my material, they would have already listened to like, I think I think the when I looked at the YouTube stats, I had somebody analyze this for me. They'd listened to something like 12 hours of me talking. Do you know the difference between 12 hours of listening to one person rabbiting on like, I've definitely listened to way more than 12 hours of Jordan Peterson, Slavoj Žižek, Terence McKenna, Graham Hancock. I've easily listened to Joe Rogan more than 12 hours. So I have in my internal world a personal relationship with that avatar of that human. I don't have a personal relationship with the Joe Rogan, the human with the bank account and socks that need changing. But with the idea of him, I have a relationship. So when he speaks, it comes in at a different level. But I mean, if you if I'd never heard of Joe Rogan and you just put him on now or Jordan Peterson or Zizek, I'd be like, who's this? Who's this guy with a weird accent who's like using loads of really long? I'm not listening to this. You know, you're not sort of you're not ready for it. You know what I'm saying? What about a son that has had a baby? My first grandson with a narcissist. She withholds my grandson and bosses over my son. What can I do? Very, very little. Very, very little. It's so hard um, in that kind of a scenario. If you have uh, children and they've uh, married somebody who is in the cluster B and that cluster B is now, they're going to, they're going to use any power that they have. I mean, 
you know, if you're if you're diagnosing that person as cluster B, which you did, you said they're a narcissist, which obviously none of us are qualified to do, but based on what you've read and what you've seen, you've said that they're a narcissist. Okay, you think they're in the cluster B. They, if we assume that you're right, they are going to do everything they can to exploit any power that they have, wherever that power comes from. They're power mad. The whole thing, I've been saying, it's all about narcissistic supply and everything can be understood from the point of view of narcissistic supply. And then last year, I went to Greece and I read a bit of Nietzsche because that's what was there in the Airbnb that I was staying in in Greece. And um, it, it, it changed me profoundly, actually. I tried a bit of Nietzsche and I liked it a lot, but it made me, it pl implanted an idea in my head that actually narcissistic supply is incidental. It's power. It's power it, in the Nietzschean sense of power. It's a, it's a drive to power. So yeah, they'll, they'll do whatever they can. And in the scenarios you've described that you're already in a weak position and you know you are, um, it would be great if I or somebody else online could say, hey, just say the magic code 94271 and they'll stop doing that. Well, they won't, they won't. And you know, legally, morally, ethically, that is their child. And when a person has a child, you know, you know what they can do with that child is uh, much more free range than what two sovereign adults can do to each other outside of a fam familial relationship, which is why this whole stuff is so important. And when it becomes destructive, it becomes so destructive. The power dynamic is um, is so powerful. The, the, there isn't a more powerful relationship that I'm aware of anywhere in the world than that between parent and child. You have a huge amount of power over them, and you will do for the rest of your life. And you'll say, but under a dictatorship or under the case of somebody who's been kidnapped, it's, it's never going to be as powerful as that because no matter what um, I do to my child, my child, even if I'm the worst person imaginable, they're still going to fight for my love. They're still going to crave my love like a junkie craves heroin. Um, and this is why abusive relationships are so tragic because once your heart is given over codependently to another person, um, they can do whatever they want to you. And not only will you not hate them for it, you will find yourself still craving their attention, validation, and love. And that's horrifying. That's a horrifying amount of power for another person, for one human being to have over another. Maybe that's why we find narcissists gravitate towards loving relationships. I mean, it's a good uh, low-budget, expedient way of having the kind of power that a parent can enjoy over a child or that uh, a president can enjoy over a nation. Uh, Robert says, tried up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right code. <laughs> Funny. It's a gamer joke. I liked it. Extra dimension says nine four two seven one. See fixed, right? I just give you this stuff. Uh, Kevin says you're going to post this video. It posts automatically, mate. Once I've turned it off, it like processes for 10, 15 minutes, and then it will it will come on. Do you have any future plans for seminars in the United States? Yes, I wouldn't do a seminar tour like I did last time. Um, I probably would just be in just two places in the states somewhere where, that has easy access for everybody to get to. It, it killed me last time. I fucking hate flying. And you have some weather inside of America. You motherfuckers didn't tell me before I got there. You have some weather. Weather. We I've been flying my whole life. I don't want to frighten people who are nervous flyers, but internal flights in America, whoo-wee. <laughs> I, won't, I won't tell any stories. It's going to freak people out. Um, yeah, but no, I would never do that ever again. I would uh, consider uh, flying to New York. I'm always going to go to California because I have a family in California. And, uh, you know, I really like New York. And I really liked, um, 
well, Los Angeles driving wise, I just was like, I was so upset trying to drive in and out of Los Angeles. It's the most upsetting driving experience. And I've driven in London and Kuala Lumpur, which are awful, but Los Angeles is just another le level of hell. But UCLA were really cool to work with. Very cool. And if anybody ever does any seminars, they're pretty cheap. You get a lovely uh, lecture room. People get nice comfy seats to sit in. You get a chalkboard and uh, it's, it's pretty cheap. So I would definitely do UCLA and um, I'd definitely do New York, but a tour around all of America, I just can't. I, it's just not. And I thought, you know, I, I it's, uh, no, it's too stressful, too, too much for me. And I, I think I, it was, yeah, no, I'll just say no. Let's just say no. Uh, leave the chat up. I, I can't. I have no um, control over that. Uh, please come to Seattle. No. Uh, Denver. No. <laughs> the weather is nice in Seattle today. No, it isn't. It's never nice in Seattle. You want to know where it's nice? California. Uh, I, I went to New York in uh, late September, as a lot of you know. And I was like, ooh, New York, late September. It's going to be cold as fuck. Like 28 degrees C, whatever that is in Fahrenheit. It's lovely. Absolutely lovely. Come to Mexico. Yeah, I'll come to Mexico. Yeah, I'm not to work though. I'll come to, I'll fucking come to Mexico. I'll work in there. Uh, Australia, maybe. Um, how can you know that you're healed from codependency? I think you, you'd need to have your emotional literacy dialed up so high that you could tell, like you're a black belt in your own emotions. You're a black belt in your own state and in your own somatics. And then you know instantly or nearly instantly whether you're experiencing a genuine authentic appropriate emotion or whether you're experiencing a neurotic uh, torture slave mind induced like fake emotion neurotic response emotional flashback and um when you have weak internal boundaries the hell of that is you don't know the difference and it takes a bit of work for you to figure out the difference which is why when i'm doing cptsd work with people I throw them in the deep end with emotional literacy. I'm like, I can't, you know, you want to learn how to sprint. You kind of learn how to walk first. Just learn how to, learn how to crawl first. Um, and then when you are in your codependency trigger environment, so one trigger for me is, is work, especially this work. Um, I'm always going to uh, have to be careful and watch myself in regards to overgiving. Um, because, you know, this kind of work is, is intimate and personal to me and everybody I speak to is potentially uh, a lost child who needs saving. And you could say that sounds like some weird narcissistic delusion. And I would say, yeah, it does kind of, but it's also just because I understand psychology. You know, I'm looking at people and I'm talking to people on here and they're just, they're just kids. They're just frightened kids and uh, trapped inside of adult bodies. So I'm going, I, I, I don't give a shit about adults. I don't really give a shit about humans, to be quite honest with you. I'm not, uh, humanity as a concept is not something I'm particularly enamored with. But if I look into a singular person's eyes and I'm thinking, oh shit, you know, this person could really do some help, I'm going to overgive. So that's a trigger area of codependency. So we've spoken a lot you already know about triggers for emotional flashbacks maybe we should start working on triggers for codependency intimacy intimate relationships uh, familial relationships um, friendships am i overgiving 
am I doing something that I don't want to do? One of the things that I ask is, if I'm going to do this, am I going to end up resenting this later? If I overgive now, is this something I'm going to resent later? That's a terrible thing. Fucking codependence is so bad for this. Giving and giving and giving and then snapping because they've overgiven. Giving, giving and giving and giving and then feeling really bitter and resentful because they gave way too much. So I try and forward engineer it. Like, is this something you're going to feel bitter about or is this a righteous uh, exchange? Do you think that this is a, uh, the right thing to do? What is the... What are your highest values, your highest perspective, your most objective, rational, detached self tell you is right to do in this scenario? And then I guess one day you'll just find yourself doing that automatically and then you'll know you'll have overcome codependency. But as I say, codependency is going to be a bigger challenge than CPTSD. Richard Hart. Oh, that's very kind of you. I feel like I'm Batman trying to save all these kids inside of people. Um, says Erica. Patrick says, I'm a purple belt right now. Still learning. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good place to be, you know. I mean, like, if you're learning, you're still rolling, you're still moving, you're still trying stuff out, it's a much better place to be than the people who've decided they've appointed themselves as, like, black belt, 10th Dan, and they're now teaching. That dogma uh, freezes your brain up. And it can make you say and do really weird things. You should always be like, oh, you know, I'm just student two, just a fellow follower of the path. Um, it puts you in a different mindset. When you're like, oh, no, I figured it all out. I'm the teacher, I'm the guru. That's when I think things go horribly wrong. What about Switzerland or other European countries for your seminars? Any plans? Um, nothing concrete now. Um, Europe, I don't know. The next few months, I don't know. Uh, I don't want to say anything. I um, I really want to, but I might save. I got a plan for Europe. I don't know whether maybe I shouldn't. One thing, don't get like this may never happen. But one thing I would like to do is residential retreats with people where I can actually just have like a small group. This will be expensive. <laughs> Let's just get that fucking clear right now. <laughs> this is gonna this is gonna cost like only four or five people at a time and four or five days and maybe have it residential and so originally i started to look at retreats and retreats and retreats and i was like oh, it's, it's such a pain in the ass because you have to get involved in uh transport and food and all the rest of it and then i was like oh what about airbnbs like if you just go in europe because inside of europe we can all fly to each other inside of a fucking three-hour flight usually i guess if you're in up in the north of sweden and i want to take you to the south of spain it's going to be like four four and a half hours but it's fairly reasonable well you can find airbnbs if you're flexible around europe that can that can take like um seven or eight people and the so so the the major cost with retreats is the actual accommodation but you can find like really reasonably priced ones if you're prepared to be flexible throughout Europe. So I looked at that and I was going to do it, but I'm not, um, I don't have it right now. Uh, I, I got I have my own things that I've got to do first and then I'll do that. But that's something I'd like to do in Europe. And then I'll just do normal seminars. I mean, there's, I've been asked a few times to do a one in Ireland, um, maybe uh, Galway. Um, there's a guy that, that I worked with in Ireland. I'd like to get him involved as well. There's a lady who teaches all about NPD 
in Ireland. Um, so Dublin or Galway would be likely. Um, Ireland apparently has a big NPD problem, according to my Irish friends. Do it in Spain. It's cheap. Wait a second. Do you live in Spain? <laughs> uh, yeah, Spain. Well, I love Spain, so I'll, I'll always go to Spain, Portugal. There was, there was loads that I saw. There's beautiful places. I mean, if you're prepared to travel, if you go out to the Azores, like, go and look on Airbnb now. Out in the Azores, you can get, like, uh, 10 bedroom with ensuite bathroom places for, and they're beautiful and, and lovely environments for, for not that much. Um, what's your take on CPTSD and DID when they coexist, and how can you distinguish them? Well, my friend, I, I kind of... I'm a little bit of a zealot with CPTSD and not everybody agrees with this point of view. In fact, most don't, but I think CPTSD is the root cause of all mental health issues. CPTSD is not a mental health, a specified a mental health issue the way that DID is. Um, you know, CPTSD accounts for anxiety, depression, anger management, addiction, Narcissistic personality disorder is a CPTSD response. So is borderline personality disorder. How do you distinguish NPD, autism, borderline personality disorder from DID? It's it's hard. It's really, really hard. So CPTSD is probably more like an umbrella term that I, me personally, my map is that it encompasses, uh, encompasses all that um, and kind of explains it. You know, uh, dissociative identity disorder to the extent that it does exist and is independent um, from borderline personality disorder. And not all mental health professionals believe that it is. Many, many mental health professionals don't believe that DID actually exists as described at all. And it's it's quite a high number. I mean, research varies across the globe, of course, but the last piece of research that I looked at said it was something like was ridiculous, like 30 or 40% of psychotherapists and psychiatrists didn't really believe that DID existed as described. That disassociation is a thing, showing up as different uh, personalities is a thing, but the idea of like discrete, separate personalities operating inside of one person, they weren't really buying it. Neither was I, until I lived with one. And then I was like, oh gosh, <laughs> it's real, it's real. Uh, Okay, when, the t when is the time right to date if you have CPTSD and working through codependency? How do you know you won't be code D in a new healthy relationship? Uh, I probably would just echo the answer I gave before. Your emotional literacy needs to be high. You need to know when you're cycling through false feelings and real feelings. You need to know when you're just a dolphin with a dirty bunghole that's plugging up your bunghole uh, because you've been dolphining. Um, which most people will be. I mean, you know, if, if you're experiencing high amounts of agitation and stress around the issue of dating, that's a sign that you're not past it. If you start thinking about dating and you feel okay, and you you maybe take it, take it slow. Ladies and gents, this is just advice for life. What the fuck is going wrong with people? Take it slow. Can I just say this for the record right now with all the, the issues that we're seeing in the world regarding uh, um, rape and consensual versus non-consensual sex and sexual assault let me just say this if you get drunk or high and or both and go to a club and meet somebody and go home and have sex with them whether you're a man or a woman you are literally crazy you are literally crazy it is 
completely insane to have sex with strangers under any circumstances, whether you're a man or a woman. Don't fucking do it. Don't do it. At my craziest, I mean, I've spoken about this on the channel. I was probably, I was into coke and I was drinking loads and I'd be fighting all the time and I was doing security work and I was highly promiscuous. I never, never, never in my life met someone, took them home and had sex with them. Never. Even when I was, when I was a child, I knew not to do that. When I was 17, I was like, no. I just instinctively had the common sense to be like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, take it slow. Take it slow. You know, we live in modern times, but in many ways, the old ways were probably the better ways. You don't have to have sex with somebody fast. You don't have to make promises to somebody quickly. You don't have to spend the night with somebody quickly. You don't fucking have to move in with people quickly. Slow the fuck down. It's like everybody is on um, hyper agitated ADHD. Let's go, let's go, let's go mode. Chill out, just calm down. That way, when you slowly get to know someone over time, you see what your agitation levels are, and if they're not setting you off, or the situation of dating isn't setting you off, then A, they may be right for you, and if you kind of slot in organically, slowly over time, and uh, uh, you may have overcome your codependency issues. It's not always dolphining, and it's not always dolphining if somebody goes from a relationship and they don't spend a year grieving the last one, you know, for some people, four or five months might be enough. They might go to therapy. They might do their own work. They might, you know, come and see somebody like me that helps them accelerate the process. And they're just done. And they're ready for a new relationship. And it's authentic and, it's, and, it, and it just works. But, yeah, check your agitation levels and check your, like, check the hysteria. Check agitation. Check anguish. Check guilt. Check shame. I always get, like, a, like a weird sort of, like, we've got to do this. You've got to do this. And I'm like, what, excuse me, what is it that I have got to do again? Where is this superego injunction coming from? I don't consent to this. You know, my non-servium is not primarily, fuck you, I rebel against the world non-servium. My most important non-servium is the non-servium to myself, to my own superego injunction. I'm, like, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing what this part of my brain is just going to go and do that now. I'm like, no. That's a dumb idea and it's going to take up my time. And I could spend that time reading or just sitting in a room staring at the wall, not being a crazy person with another crazy person. Uh, triggered, says Amanda. Uh, that's very kind of you. Somebody who just compared me to Jordan Peterson and Joe Rogan. Very kind. It's like everybody is on speed. I just quit meth last night. Lol. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> you picked a good day to quit math. We're proud of you. Um, somebody write me a question. Okay, let's see. Richard, what would your perfect platform be to spread awareness in the UK? I heard you say YouTube is not the perfect platform. How do we avoid this destruction? YouTube is okay. You just have to use it very, very carefully, and you can't uh, comment on it, and you can't read the comments. Uh, don't read the comments anymore, and I don't comment. Um, what happened to your FB Spartan Life Coach account? Um, I just shut it down because social media is poison. Uh, okay. Any questions? Any questions? How do I build confidence, self-esteem, self-esteem as F and begin to get over fear? I don't have um, a quick answer for you on that one. You know, you've got to, you've got to heal. You've got to heal from the hurt. 
got to heal from the trauma before you can have true confidence. You need to build your boundaries back up. Uh, Extra Dimension says, what is your brain telling you to do that you are not doing? Oh God, I'll probably get like five or six things every day that my brain tells me to focus on or to do that I just don't do. And some of them are just, it's not like dumb stuff. It's not like I'm saying that my brain is going, kill them, kill them all, burn their bodies. It's not, it's not that. <laughs> it's, it's dumb. It's dumb stuff that is usually rooted in insecurity or in, in an inability to handle how I'm feeling. And it's usually a trigger to, okay, where's the emotional literacy around that issue? Like, what, what is that? Why is that coming up? What's that about? Um, it's it's worse for me at the moment because I'm just in an emotionally raw state. And I think there's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever studied Russian martial arts, right? Um, but in Russian martial arts, they're very interested in the way in which your brain and your body work together to instinctively avoid pain and destruction and to play with the instinctive drive to avoid destruction. So there are good things we do to avoid pain and there are bad things that we do to avoid pain. And we've got to iron out some of the habits. We've got to get into the unconscious protocols. There are things that, say if I say you need deep tissue massage on an old pec tear and I start driving my thumb into your pec tear, you're, though you know you need that, your body is going to like, it's going to try and move to, to escape it. These uh, thoughts that are saying, do this, do that, do something else, go and talk to this person. Um, usually it's, it, it's to do with, it's to do with connectivity. And I'm like, no, I don't want that right now. I can't, uh, you know, I can't afford the distraction from the, from, from what I'm doing right now to go and be connected or involved with anybody else. But my brain is going, but you'll feel better. And I'm like, yeah, I fucking know I'll feel better short term. I'll get a little release of dopamine, a little release of serotonin. I'll be like, oh, that's better. Another human being to plug into that takes me out of my reality. But then that is the fucking beginnings of codependency. So then either I'm going to have to use that human being and then unplug and go, yeah, I had no intention of the long term on that one, but thanks for all the fish and then buzz off. Or I'm going to have to be like guilty and stay plugged in longer than I want to because I now feel bad. But like in one scenario, I'm a narcissistic asshole, and in the other scenario, I'm a fawning codependent. Well, I'll just keep my plug in my pocket, shall I? Uh, do you love yourself? Yes, yes. Do you? Um, will my question mark? I didn't see your original question, mate. I'm sorry. What's the difference from abuser and narc or antisocial? I don't know what that question means. Are you asking the difference between narcissist or antisocial? You might need to have a look at that. Um, any recommendations for a good doctor who can stitch my dolphin anus closed? You know what, guys? I said we need. It's me. I set the tone here. This is this is uh, this is my problem. Agnes says, "Do you think freedom is rooted in solitude?" I think.
there is something that not everybody needs, but some people may choose to have and to experience. And that something can only come through solitude. Because when you connect with other people, they're influencing you in all kinds of ways that you are never aware of. Um, now, people with CPTSD tend to view others as dangerous. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying other people are dangerous. I'm saying if you have made a decision as a sovereign adult to pursue something, and I don't, I don't have a word for it, but there is a thing, a power, a, um, an ability that you can only get through significant solitude. Yes. Uh, but it's it's not necessary, and it's it's not it's not for everybody. Codependency versus trauma bonding. Trauma bonding is done through um, pain in the present, present or the recent past. Codependency would have been formed through an attachment disorder in uh, earliest childhood. Richard, you remind me of the ever ready Bonnie. Um, thank you. Uh, when you're schizophrenic, you're never alone. You're full of it tonight, aren't you, Erica? <laughs> Uh, why do I keep having codependent relationships with Chinese women? Oh, that was your question, Will. Um, uh, I, I'm going to presume you're the codependent. Well, I, I, I don't know, mate. I mean, uh, from your profile picture and your name, you appear to not be Chinese. So <laughs> do you live in China? Are you actively pursuing Chinese women? Um, most of my friends... Uh, in London, uh, like there's a there's a group of friends that I have in London that they're they're Chinese, British born Chinese, um, but that's because one friend that I had from up here he moved down there, and over the years uh, I had a couple of relationships with a couple of Chinese girls, but that was it was not I wasn't like oh why does this keep happening I was like well I like them. Then I pursue them. Then I ask them out. It's not like it happens to me. Like it happens to be raining today. It, it was usually something I was doing. So maybe, uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about what you're experiencing. I, I, may, I might have missed. I maybe I've missed an earlier point. And I'm not. I'm not being uh, uh, deliberately facetious. Um, well, I I, 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 I kind of I do understand your question. I get questions like this a lot. As uh, okay, so will you're in Seattle, so. To an extent, my friend, you must be, obviously there is a large uh, Chinese community in Seattle. Um, I don't think it would be as big as San Francisco, but a large one there. Uh, are you pursuing them? Uh, you know, so that's, is that what you're doing? Bob Bob says, are you Mancunian? No, I just have a cold or I did and my nose is blocked. Um, I'm from the Wirral, so we have an accent that is uh, very influenced by the Liverpool accent. It's called Scouse. It's a Scouse accent. Brian says, I like redheads. Good oh, me too. I like them all. They're all lovely. Uh, Amelia says, best thing to remind ourselves when staying objective and reasonable about heartbreak, codependency, experiences. Bless your grief flow. Really appreciate you on my neural pathway reconstruction team. The best things to remind ourselves when staying objective and reasonable. Um, well, 
Critical thinking is more of a skill rather than something that you remind yourself of and it needs to be developed over time. It's a strength that you develop. Um, it's kind of a habit. You need to develop the skill, the strength, the habit of just challenging your own thoughts. And whenever you're becoming agitated or afraid or you feel like your thinking process is now tinged with some hysteria or emotional flashback, you're becoming unnecessarily sad, inappropriately angry, something is like winding you up, you'd be like, whoa, okay, what, what's, what's this? What, what, why am I doing this right now? Um, it made you laugh. Well, good. I'm glad it made you laugh. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, Sam Vaknin uh, call, calls this, oh, sorry, it is called, and he told me, it's called an alloplastic defense in psychology. And he kind of told me off um, a little bit for using, for saying that I attract narcissists. And he was like, that's absurd. You're not a magnet and they're not iron filings. And he said, what you're doing is an alloplastic defense. And an alloplastic defense is when, if I was using alloplastic defense, it's like, I want to do something, but I pretend that something external is making me do that thing. So I don't have to face up to the fact that I want to do it. So if you're in a codependent relationship and you find it's with Chinese women, you know, there's, there's <laughs> as with any group of people, there's plenty to like um, about every ethnicity. <laughs> so I'm sympathetic. Like uh, there's a lot, there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff to like there. Like I've always, I've always been very lucky with, uh, with Chinese people. They've always taken me in, they like in, uh, in uh, Malaysia and in Hong Kong, I don't know. I've just always had a warm response from Chinese people. So I'm not surprised that you're doing that. Where you're seeing a lot of narcissism or what you're feeling is like you're in a narcissist, like that person then is becoming narcissistically exploitative of you, then we would need to kick it up a level and explore that. Is there something in relationships that are intracultural, intralinguistic, intra-ethnic that um, promote narcissistic abuse or permit narcissistic abuse? Maybe. Is there something in immigrant um, populations that make narcissism a likely defense to the traumatic experience of um, living as an, as an immigrant in another country where that particular class of immigrants is not treated very well? Possibly. These are all things that I've looked at, but I've not I've not really found anything conclusive except to say I said it bravely and I didn't actually get that much of a kicking for it on a YouTube video that I noticed a lot of people coming to me describing narcissistically abusive relationships. It was either between people of different ethnicities um, or of significantly different cultural backgrounds or where the language was significantly different and or if the age was very different. To this day, I don't know why that would be, but I've seen it and heard it so many times. I'm not saying that like two uh, English people, you know, who grew up from the same town can't be in a narcissistic abuse. I've seen that too, but it's it's frequently it's big age gaps, big culture gaps, big ethnic gaps. Um, there, there seems to be more there. I don't know why. Extra Dimension says he totally has a thing for Chinese women. Ah, <laughs> I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm not getting into that. I'm not getting into that. 
I, I, I have a thing for women and my, yeah, I, I like girls. I really, I, yes. So me and the animal says, I think he likes feminine women. Yes, that's, you got it. Feminine, athletic women, uh, every other variation that falls into that category. <laughs> they could be Middle Eastern, Latinas, Chinese, Japanese, Korean, white, Southern European, Northern European, even Americans, generally not. <laughs> uh, so how to increase dopamine naturally, laughter, um, dancing, watching comedy, um, getting outside, getting some oxygen, that'll all help. Doing what pleases you, doing what makes you feel good, being aware of what makes you feel good and doing that. Eat the foods that make you feel good, do the exercise that makes you feel good, listen to the music that makes you feel good, feel good, feel good, feel good. Um, go out and try and feel cheerful and upbeat and your dopamine levels will go up. Um, think about people that you find attractive, create big, bright images that are close up inside of your mind. Imagine it vividly and uh, you'll find, yeah, that's uh, that can increase dopamine and all kinds of other things too. Uh, Nina says Australian women. Oh God, Nina. Australian women to me are like Scouse women. Um, I've seen beautiful Australian women. Same with Kiwi girls as well. Same, and, and this, honestly, like girls from my area, there's actually a very similar look between uh, some Australian, some Kiwi, and some Scouse girls. And it's probably maybe the uh, Irish stock. Uh, so there's a similar look, and sometimes absolutely beautiful until that mouth opens. There are not all Australian accents, but some of them are just, it's like the Californian accent. I'd see girls in California and then they would speak and I'd be like, <laughs> stop speaking. It's so bad. Uh, African-American Irish women. Um, certainly if they have the Irish accent, that's, that's going to help a lot. That's going to help all day. I've never, I've never met an African-American Irish woman. I take it you were born in America and then moved to, to Ireland. Uh, Greek women, of course, of course. How could, yeah, absolutely. You, you can do this all day. I'm, I am definitely going to offend somebody attractive from, from that nation. I, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, so <laughs> I think Richard is Pisces, keeping all back doors open like this. This is getting graphic. Let's not talk uh, back doors anymore. You've opened a can of worms, Richard. I made a mistake. Um, I really did. Do I feel uneasy or anxious in the US? No. Um, and it depends on the state. The United States, to me, my experience of it was it's very much each state kind of functions like its own separate country, has its own culture, it has its own laws, has its own chi, has its own vibe. And some places felt better than others. Generally speaking, um, I was I read. Uh, I was watching. I was reading books. I was reading Cormac McCarthy books, and then I watched a few films that that came out like um, sort of in succession. God, I wish I could remember. It was Bone Tomahawk, which is really gets really graphic in a super nasty way. So please don't go and watch that and then freak out. Wind River, not graphic, but some of the stuff that happens in that film is not very nice. No Country for Old Men, I watched again. Uh, two Brothers Robin Banks in Texas. Oh, God. 
and the Texan accent that they do is so strong you can you can bear them so really really good but it was like the old west and the new west and while I was over there I kept on being hit with this thing of like it's not changed it's not changed it's the same it's the same it's the same it's still the fucking frontier it's still the wild west it's still it's still raw it's primal it's it feels it doesn't like as a as a European it doesn't feel like um it doesn't feel like one country and it doesn't feel like a country it feels like an ongoing project like this it feels like a fucking huge campsite like an idea like a thing that we're doing and it doesn't feel done yet it feels like it's halfway done um but did it make me feel uneasy some places made me feel depressed uh, uh dallas made me feel depressed um god i went to uh, portland the the hipster place and I, I swear to god i was being haunted by the ghost of john lennon up there i got so sad so 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 melancholy up there um yeah uh but hello high water thank you hello high water that is a good film that's a good film that's a cool film um so yeah no that that was the impression that i got uh of america is that it's unfinished and it's still very raw and it's still it's still a, a very violent place which was strange for me because i dealt in violence to americans for years and i felt like i knew the place so the weird thing running streetfightsecrets.com, most of my client base was American and most of the people I taught were American. And I'd be like, why, what is it? Even like between America and Canada, the level of naivety around just a fist fight in America is so weirdly high versus Canada. You know, when you speak to Canadian instructors or you have Canadian instructors, it's like they know how to brawl, but Americans don't. And uh, I had another, I was saying this to another instructor and he was like, yeah, but you've got to think what the level of violence is in America. People in America don't headbutt each other. Like we think it's a bad fight if somebody gets glassed and gets headbutted. Well, there's not much I can physically do to somebody that's going to compare with what an AR-15 or a combat shotgun is going to do to them. So the, the level, it's almost like the level of violence is so high there that you wouldn't bother learning how to sort of do brawling self-defense stuff if that makes sense so it feels like a like a a, a a polite country polite 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 massive amounts of violence and i'm like maybe what you could do with this polite a little bit of violence a little bit more violence you know like a pressure release like a variation rather than just super polite super polite super polite i'm shooting you in the head and then another three times to make sure that you're dead that's that's how it that's how it feels um Gun violence is horrible here. Yeah, uh, it is horrible. Um, I love guns. And every time I go to America, I love firing guns. Dallas made me feel sad because I went to a gym and a shopping mall in an area where they there was a huge homelessness problem. And I had a weird, I'm not going to mention it now because it's getting late, but I had a really strange psychic experience there. The, like that I haven't like psychic experiences and not part of my life at all anymore, but I had a balls to the wall. I had the same thoughts as another guy. Uh, it was, it was fucking so strange and it just felt like, yeah, it, it felt it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't good. Uh, why do you take drugs? I don't take drugs. Um, I used to take drugs in my twenties. Um, because I don't know. Sad. My dad never really loved me. Um, 
that's in a bad environment. Uh, okay, I'll do one more question and then I'm gonna wrap it up. Uh, the New York Times just wrote an article on what is wrong with American boys, that something's wrong with our boys because they're the only ones committing gun violence. Part of what is problem right now, part of what is a problem right now with boys in America is they are constantly being told, especially now, that they're worthless pieces of shit. Um, and I'm not saying that the recent school shooting or any of the school shootings happened because of that. Um, but there is a problem with young boys in America being, uh, and, and men in America right now, men across the globe right now, being told that they're worthless pieces of shit and that they don't have a function in society and they don't have a place in society and that they are rapists and tyrants and oppressors and intrinsically awful. They're being trained to think of themselves as essentially um, faulted, tainted with the mark of Cain. Um, and that is problematic. And that is going to turn around and bite us in the arse, not with more mass shootings, more likely mass suicides. Um, and we are already seeing that. Fast suicides, where people are literally just going out and killing themselves. Men are killing themselves in America and in the UK at the moment in numbers higher than we have ever seen before. Killing themselves, we are killing ourselves in, in droves. Um, if you, this is a crazy stat. If you go and fight in Afghanistan or in Iraq and have gone to fight in Afghanistan or in Iraq in the last 10 years, you're five times more likely to kill yourself as a result of fighting there than you are of dying from taking a bullet over there or taking a piece of shrapnel over there. Something's up. Something's really, really up. Um, but that's one thing out of many. So, yeah, there is a problem with boys in America. They're being told uh, in multiple ways, both explicit and implicit, that there's no place for them and that there's something intrinsically wrong with them. Um, and it's, it's, it's something that needs addressing. It really does. I mean, on the one hand, you'll have mass suicide, you will have some more gun shootings and you might see more uh, just clockwork orange style, psychopathic, um, jouissance style violence for the sake of violence as a, as a way of experiencing a thrill. We still don't know what motivated the Las Vegas killer. Um, we may never know. I, I suspect it was jouissance. It was just the thrill. He did it for the thrill of, of, of doing it. Uh, Alexandra says most men are misogynists. Now, Alexandra, why would you say that? How would you feel if I said most women are misandrists? We shouldn't make generalized negative statements about genders in the same way we shouldn't make generalized negative statements about other ethnicities. It's, uh, it's factually wrong. It's not objective. It's not rooted in truth. It's not rooted in an adherence to critical thought. And it's damaging to the target. Telling men that most men are misogynists, which is code for most men are bullying, narrow-minded pieces of shit that want to enslave and subjugate women, um, is, is, is wrong. You shouldn't do it. Bad. Uh... <laughs> hey, that's really happy note to end on, lol. <laughs> Uh, Roberta says, I have two sons and three grandsons. I highly disagree. Um, 
they are being told they are shit or they're just shy of being God, bullies and crybabies. That's not a very well-constructed sentence, but I know what you mean. I know what you mean. They're, they're, it, it's, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Yes, what you're saying is they're either told they're worthless, which is one polarity, or that they are absolutely wonderful. Well, in my humble opinion, this is perfect environment for narcissistic personality disorder to form. You have two polarities for narcissistic personality disorder. You're a worthless piece of shit. You're at fault for everything in the world. You're wonderful. Everything you do is perfect. And you're at fault for nothing you do in the world. Uh, that this is the perfect environment for creating NPD. So I'm guessing that's what will happen with gener- <laughs> America's next generation of men. I suspect, and I'm hopeful that actually what will happen instead uh, is that we're going through a, a kind of an intellectual revolution. And um, as a result of it, though it might be somewhat painful and somewhat traumatic, um, we might get a little bit of a consciousness upgrade. People may learn to think more clearly with more nuance. They might learn to be more objective and to engage in more critical thought. And it might not be a happier time, but it could be a more rational and more useful time. So there you go. I ended on a, on an optimistic note. All right. Thank you very much for your time and your attention. It is uh, much appreciated. And um, this will be available to watch after this is done. We'll take about 15, 20 minutes to process and then you can watch it again on YouTube. Thanks again for your time. Hey guys, I meant to say at the end of the video there, I'm actually uh, offering um, up coaching sessions with some people that I've trained in uh, overcoming narcissistic abuse and overcoming CPTSD symptoms. Um, we're offering a coaching course at the moment. So if you fancy that, join the mailing list below and every time there becomes available, every time they've got slots open, I message everybody on the list and then if you fancy it, you can uh, you can get the course. It's six sessions. There are certain set things that need to be done session by session. There's actually a process that they take you through plus they coach you on your way as you go as well. So if you fancy that, just uh, sign up to the mailing list below and uh, you can get a hold of that. I meant to say I joined the thing, but it all got wiped away with dirty dolphins bum holes. I'll leave it there. See ya.